Mini episode 1265 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1265. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with part 29 of our Coronavirus Crisis 2020 series. And uh, we are now into the part of the year where we are looking at how the coronavirus crisis has affected the political conventions for this year and uh, how it will affect the fall ahead. We'll take a look at that uh, toward the end of the segment here, but uh, start by taking a look at two unprecedented virtual conventions that we saw over this past two-week period, this past fortnight, as they might say, across the pond. And uh, for that, uh, we have, as always, for our political uh, segments here, a longtime friend of the program, and that would, of course, be epolitics.com editor slash proprietor Colin Delaney. Uh, And uh, a pleasure to have him on, as always. Uh, Colin, I've really been looking forward to hearing what you got to say about these things here, as always, my man. Oh, listen, I'm looking forward to it. What a time we live in. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I did not uh, I did not realize I would ever see a year quite like this one. <laughs> no, and, and Colin, isn't it, uh, isn't it fascinating and isn't it fitting that uh, I go back to the movie, uh, what was it, I think, Disclosure, where Donald Sutherland's character quotes the Chinese as saying, may you live in interesting times? Well, oh, the, yeah, right, right. <laughs> The Chinese made sure we'd be living in interesting times of 2020, Colin Delaney. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, there you go. We can go down uh, the Alex Jones uh, weapons lab conspiracy holes later. Let's well, that sure. Later. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get into that a uh, little bit uh, later on. And uh, yeah, after a uh, mirthful start here, which I know we'll probably resume uh, in, a, in a minute here, I want to take just a second and just kind of uh, acknowledge at the uh, start of the show here, and I'm hoping that my usual kind of flow through these things is not going to suffer any for what's been going through my head, but uh, we are going to dedicate this mini-episode of the program to uh, a longtime friend of mine and somebody who is a longtime uh, sounding board on matters, uh, political and otherwise, so uh, very fitting to dedicate this segment to him. Longtime uh, personal friend Stu Grimes, also a friend of fellow FDH Lounge original dignitary Chris Galloway, going back to our college days, uh, who succumbed this past week to uh, an injury that he had suffered uh, years before. He was in a rehabilitation place these last several years. Details uh, have not yet uh, come into all of us on what particularly did it at this point in time, although being in a rehab facility, you can guess where some of us might have our suspicions. But uh, anyways, uh, just a longtime friend of mine, uh, back to my formative political days. And uh, Stu, love you a lot, my man. See you on the other side one day, and thank you for your friendship and uh, for, for everything you brought to our, our group of friends. So getting that uh, out of the way here uh, and uh, trying to get back to somewhat of a mirthful place after that uh, cul-de-sac. 
Uh, because that's what Stu would have wanted. Stu is the like the most least sentimental person I know, and he'd be laughing and calling me the uh, vulgar equivalent of the female anatomy of the uh, here. So for, for, <laughs> we're getting all soft on it. Oh Listen, Jesus! I will, take, I will take it as an honor to be on the show. That is named for him. Well, thank you, that? thank you. Um, you, you you wouldn't have agreed with his politics at all. Safe to say, but uh, you know. <laughs> <Who cares? laughs> But yeah, uh, a great guy. Sure his mama loved him. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, a lot of us did. And uh, I'm actually uh, planning on going down to the Columbus area for his funeral tomorrow, the day after we're taping this. So uh, yeah, just uh, and it'll be an incredible honor to help see him off. And uh, again, it, you know, what are, would have been our political? I guess the grasping for a segue here, right? Uh, back in our formative <laughs> days. Back in our formative days, politically, at the Harvard on the Hocking, Ohio University, Stu and Chris and I could have never dreamed of a year like we've had. Hell, in 2019, Colin Delaney, we could have never dreamed like a year we've had. I got us back on track. I found a segue. But, uh, you know, it is, you know, a year unlike any other in so many different ways. Uh, you know, there were the jokes at the beginning of summer here about how we've wedged together basically, you know, 1918, 1929, and 1968 all in the same year. It's the bastard love child. <laughs> That's a good analogy. I like that. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell you. So historians, you know, are, are, are like, wow, look, we get to study things in real time for once. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, who's really celebrating is uh, 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 physicists. You uh -huh. know why? Uh-huh. Why? They get, yeah, they got uh, 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 the first, like, really definitive proof that alternate universes exist, yes. right? Because uh, all they had to do was turn on TV the last two weeks. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, no, uh, it, was, uh, it was a remarkable difference in, um, uh, yeah, we can certainly talk technical matters, like, you know, political people, um, but from, a, you know, a messaging point of view and, uh, 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 you know, a point of view of how to inspire people, they were just such radically different views of America. It was remarkable to me. Yeah, well, I mean, and you, you do get that to whatever degree every four years as far as how they go, but you're right, this time a little bit more so than usual, and, and this time owing to the fact that uh, it is an incumbent unlike any other that we've had uh, in the history of this country, so you're going to have things be even more unusual uh, when that happens, and uh, yeah, so many different things, and uh, I know you, you wanted to start with a kind of, kind of a look at both of these things here, so as you're sort of comparing and contrasting here, what are the things that kind of jump out in your mind as far as uh, looking at the last two weeks as a collective? Yeah, well, one thing um, I think it's really important to sort of temper any discussion we have with the thought that not that many people as a percentage of the country or as a percentage of voters actually watched either of them. Right, right. right. Um, you know, yeah, from the Nielsen and, you know, the cable rankings, the Democrats did somewhat better, maybe 20, 25 percent, you know, it changed from right to night. Um, the Democrats also got a lot of streaming, and it is just a suspicion. I don't have any data to back it up. I would have, I would suspect that Democrats were, you know, more likely to be younger, more likely to watch. I, I streamed quite a bit of it when uh, PBS had their talking heads on mm -hmm. before I realized that other channels were, yeah. So anyway, so the numbers, you know, maybe, but regardless of what the final number is, you're still talking like 10 or 15% of the country watched the thing. Right. But many, uh, many others get the amplified bits of this. So I think that the staging and things like that, um, you know, the political professionals like to talk about them, but many people are going to see video clips from this. 
And so, you know, the the um, the thing that really struck me as I was just uh, uh, watching some of the video from last night was the way Trump used the White House. The, the imagery was so redolent of fascism. And, you know, I don't toss that around lightly, but the way he slouched against the lectern with the eagles on the uh, flags behind him, with the uh, half-lit columns of the White House looming kind of ominously, with, uh, it was uh, uh, Lenny Riefenstahl, you know, who may triumph with the will about the, the Nuremberg rallies, uh, uh, would have seen a, would have felt a little of recognition, right? Um, that, that not iconography we really see in American politics, right? In the same way that violence in the streets is not something that we tolerate typically in American politics, right? Right. So that, that just watching it, that even if you just see a few seconds of it, it's like this overbearing, uh, uh, North Korean looking thing. Um, and then to have speaker after speaker stand up and say things that just defy America's lived experience, right? You know, um, it's things that people believe if they're in the Fox News bubble, but not if they've been watching anything else, you know? Um, so, and again, the fact checkers will tell you that uh, the RNC was just a cavalcade of lies. Yeah, the Democrats exaggerated here and there. You know, everybody gets a little bit of a pass. But you can't say Joe Biden is in favor of things that Joe Biden opposes, right? I mean, you can say it, <laughs> but the only people who are going to believe you are people who were, will believe anything you say. Um, to me, the Republican convention was an insult to the American people's intelligence, where the Democratic convention was kind of like, it was a new production. It was, a, it was good. I thought they technically did a good job. I thought the role call was really cool, really energizing, you know, getting to see people from all over the country, right? Um, they did a very good job of that. But from a messaging point of view, um, it wasn't that much different from a typical Democratic convention. Um, what I saw this week, I mean, my God, in the time that the Republican, if you listen to the convention, Donald Trump's handling of the coronavirus is a tremendous success. Meanwhile, over the course of the convention, more people, more Americans died of COVID-19 than died in either uh, on September 11th or at Pearl Harbor, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just fundamentally disconnected. I think both conventions will do an excellent job of firing up their supporters. Um, you know, for, as a Democrat myself, the thing that I do fear for the Democrats is somebody's got to put the squelch on this thing in Portland. This is just stupid, right? We, you know, uh, well, uh, yeah. we cannot have people running around vandalizing things. I don't give, I don't care who starts it, right? Um, peaceful protests all day long, but these kids, and <laughs> I have 51, darn kids, get off my lawn. Yeah. But, um, I really do think that, that these things get hijacked by, a small number of usually guys who get off on uh, Frankenstein, you know. Uh, the Boogaloo boys are, 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 you know, they're not all on the right. They're just kind of almost like libertarian taken to the extreme extreme. Some of them are far left. Some of them are far right. But, uh, uh, you know, they like to go out and bring stuff, you know, to get uh, uh, you know, people who are angry about racial justice pretty soon. You know, all it takes is one guy to decide he wants to take advantage of that and break a window. And then, you know, the norms are broken and, you know, it goes to hell from there. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, yeah, the guy who started the whole 
Yeah. That nobody knew. You know, the guy with right. the sledgehammer or whatever it was. Yeah. Right. Well, here's the thing, though, and you, you basically, you provided enough there to sort of be a framework for the rest of the show. I think I'm just going to keep coming okay. back and picking at threads of what you just said. I'm going to start on the rioting because that's where, you, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a point yeah, there. Yeah. Well, yeah, and here's the thing. I mean, and, and, and the way that I'm looking at this is uh, you must have the same sense because it's been remarked upon in recent days where the D.C. mayor, uh, oh, rioting's bad, okay? Like, the internal polling that the Democrats are looking at has to be very, very, very frightening because the way that this goes, this is just my assessment, my neutral assessment of the thing here. And by the way, I, when I say neutral... In the sense, I mean, I'm scared Sless no matter who wins this election. I think it's disaster <laughs> okay. either way. Okay, right. Um, yeah. I listen. I tried for four years. I didn't vote for Trump last time. I tried for four years from my side of the aisle to be open to it. And the response to the pandemic and and the mask shaming and the what I'm like, no, can't do it. I'm voting Joe Jurgensen. Uh, so I'm going that way. So. <laughs> Everything yeah. I'm saying is not with an axe to grind here. I think it never is, but I just want to establish that here. On the thing with the rioting, that this is a thing where ultimately, and I hear a lot of whining from a lot of my friends who want Trump to win, that it's unfair that Joe Biden's been in the basement. And, what, and I said, you know what? Uh, elections are generally a referendum on the incumbent. And tough toenails, you, you can't just whine about it and make it something other than that. Having said that, if Joe Biden... Mm -hmm gets his own coronavirus, so to speak, in terms of something that scares and threatens the American people. And this rioting thing, if it keeps on going, has the potential to do that. Trump is going to try to make Joe Biden own that. And that is a thing where, it, the, listen, the smartest thing that the Democrats can do is to stop effing triangulating on this thing and be afraid that they're going to come off as being soft on civil rights if they stand up to rioting. You're finally starting to get a little bit of that here. I didn't know how many points of agreement that you and I might have. The only reason, yeah, mm -hmm. the only reason they're not, that yeah. you think they're not calling it out, is you're not hearing it in conservative media. Joe Biden is against rioting and looting. I, I don't. I know he hasn't made any statements for it. I have to say, no, I, he's, he's made. He has made active public statements, including at the Democratic convention, that he is opposed to violence looting and riot people protest well again and here's the that thing that is his stated position well and, and because here's the thing too and because let's look at the effects of the rioting in a purely electoral sense it's going to drive a lot of people to trump if it keeps on going but what it also does is when joe biden is looking what at what he considers to be his core constituencies i mean what communities are worst affected by the rioting and the violence and the whatever. Colin, it's probably not where you and I live. You know what I'm saying? So it's like the, the very people that Joe Biden is purporting to speak for are the ones that are the most disproportionately affected by the outcomes of urban violence, looting, etc. Those are jobs that are going away. That is violence being visited upon a community. I mean, this whole thing, I understand, and, and believe me, the phrase law and order has a long history in this country of being used a certain way, and I'm not going to deny that, that Trump himself uses it in that way. But law and order, as it is supposed to be understood, Colin Delaney, is something that every sane person in this country believes in, and it's out of the mainstream not to be associated with that version of law and order. Agreed, 100%. And that is why Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have both said publicly, repeatedly, that the rioting and looting should stop. And also, it's not going on all the time. There are peaceful protests going on sure. all the time. Uh, uh, 
uh, you know, I can't help but point out the disinformation side of this. You know, in, in their, uh, 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 you know, one of their uh, videos the other night, they used footage of a riot in Barcelona, Spain, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Fox, Fox, Fox News, uh, weeks after uh, any violence, any fires, any of that had stopped in Minneapolis, uh, Fox News was running the same clips every single day uh, when they were talking about protests, as though this is what was happening every day. So it's not just what's happening out there, which is real, but limited to a handful of places, right? Portland, uh, Madison, Kenosha, uh, uh, Minneapolis, or uh, uh, Milwaukee. Um, you know, a relative handful of places. Yeah, here in D.C., we have peaceful protests, and then the first night of them, a group of criminals used it as an opportunity to go up into uh, two relatively expensive neighborhoods, break one of those field stops. Sure. That wasn't rioting and looting. That was, you know, an organized uh, criminal attempt to take, you know, to take advantage of the fact that cops were looking the other way because they were big, right? Right. So, but, but so, so yeah, so there's active disinformation going on. Um, look, every community is diverse, right? Age, race, class. Um, I don't think it makes sense to talk about, you know, the black, there is no black community. There are black people in many communities. Right? Yeah. Just like there is no white community, you know? Um, the, the people that Trump is talking to, you know, honestly, it feels like he never got over, it's funny, it's a, appropriate that you mentioned 68, but it's like he never got over 1968. I mean, you know, this is a guy that went to private school, uh, rode in a limo as a child, you know, <laughs> got to university for, yeah, whatever it means, and works in his own, you know, his own family business his sure. entire adult life. He doesn't know anything about the rest of the world. I think his mindset is that America is somehow still somewhat Levittown, you know? Yeah. Well, and, um, you know, people's lived experience is very different now. Um, I think uh, Democrats are going to be hurt uh, in part uh, by um, the inability of uh, Congress and the president together to pass another uh, economic stimulus bill. A lot of small businesses are going to go under. They're starting to go under my my neighborhood, you know. Well, and uh, but cynic- uh, cynically though, I think it works to Biden's advantage. I think, and 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 that's the oh, reason really? where. And I think I do think the Democrats in Congress realize that. I think that's part of this whole thing here too. Is that the worst things? I'm I'm not subscribing to the grand conspiracy uh-huh. theory, but politics is politics, <laughs> Colin Delaney. How much of a recovery? Well, come on. If if you hooked up Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer to a lie detector, how much of a recovery do they want before <laughs> November third? Come on. Oh, listen, look. I gotta just push back in general. The majority of people in public service are not monsters, right? <laughs> Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi want most good for their constituents and the residents of country of this country is making check. Yeah, they have political considerations, but they are not manipulative monsters the way, you know, it's like your words seem to portray them. Well, um, I mean, outside they, of about they know, five, they know outside of about five national it. politicians, I'd say they are all monsters, but that's my perspective. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, man. I, I have worked for uh, uh, public figures, uh, not always ones that I agreed with. Uh-huh. I have you know, worked around a lot of leaders in the political world, the advocacy world, and, uh, yeah, there are a bunch of scumbags, sure. I mean, there are plenty of scumbags in that community, but the majority of people I know in elected office are public servants. So, 
Okay. And uh, I know people, I know people who know Pelosi, you know, works for Pelosi for years. Um, she is very good at politics, but she's good at pol- the politics of the possible. They know that there's one shot to get a bill before January, right? Yeah. And it wants to have it do the most that it can do so it can inject some money into the economy and get the, you know, we got to get demand up, right? Yeah. Um, but not uh, too far up. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that's the thing, though. You know, the Federal Reserve has even said, um, but no, 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 no. Hey, listen, uh, any, any financial uh, benefit that they would get through now would barely even begin to show up. I, I feel like you're right. They could get with, you're right. Yeah, it's um, too late almost. Because, you know, yeah, the unemployment systems are so squirrely in the states, all yeah. about purpose. Yeah. That, um, yeah, that uh, it'll take a while. Um, you know, yeah, we've got to get demand up. I mean, interest rates are near zero, at zero, basically. So um, the government can basically borrow money for free. And uh, if they tolerate a tiny bit more inflation than they're used to, you know, it'll help just things along a little bit, maybe. But, tiny uh, bit more? I mean, you uh, look at the helicopter approach that we've had here. I, I mean, this is on paper, right? And I realize that these things mm-hmm. don't always go on paper. But on paper, we yeah. should be the Weimar Republic by now with the way we've been printing money, <laughs> even before this. Well, you know, that's the thing. But we're not the Weimar Republic. We're not Greeks. Uh, Japan, for instance, has shown Japan is running a debt-to-GDP ratio. Now, Japan's economy has a lot of problems, don't get me wrong. Uh, a lot of it's stemming from the fact that they're, you know, having, you know, the, the, not having that many kids, right? There's not right. that many young workers to support people. But, you know, Japan's a very stable country. Um, uh, uh, it pays its debt. Um, they're running like a GDP, you know, gross domestic product, uh, to, uh, debt ratio that's like three times, four times what ours is. It's like far higher than economists usually thought. If you're a single country, you're still a safe bet, right? It's like America yeah. completely goes off the rails. <laughs> well, Colin, if you're gonna, if you're gonna compare our countries, let's be fair here. I mean, you know, while it might not be more just or equitable, it would probably be more efficient if we had to run everything through the Yakuza in this country, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think in Japan, the modern Yakuza are the bureaucrats, right? It's, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've looked at the, you know, the professional culture. I don't know how much it's changing, but it, was, it, was, it sounded horrifying. Like, nobody could leave the job before the boss left. So, right. Uh, before they her boss. Yeah. Anyway, we we can get into worldwide labor pressure <laughs> another day. But uh, but no, it's just that that we can. I know. Listen, I am frugal by nature. I'm a small business guy. Um. Uh. Uh. I don't like picking on debt personally. But this is a time that if we don't, we're gonna retard economic growth. Right. right? Don't want we're that. Gonna, we're gonna base. We're gonna pay for it either in lower taxes later. Because we're not, you know, just we're not making as much stuff. Right. Or we're going to pay for it now in debt. Right. No, that's true. That's true. I mean, these are uh, unprecedented times, and you got to be very, very kind of nimble in dealing with what we got going on here. Mm-hmm. Another thread that you threw out there that I want to go back to, unsurprisingly, oh, yeah. you see this in exceedingly stronger terms than I do, vis-a-vis <laughs> the pageantry. Uh, what I will say, uh, yeah. I, will, I will co-sign a lot of the things I've heard on TV, which is, this is a shattering of norms. This is a thing where if Obama was doing it, I'd be screaming my head off, so I can't be good with it because it's happening now. I'm very consistent on that stuff. I don't give Trump a pass for any of the stuff that I hung Obama for, and this is something where, look, this is far further than Obama would have gone because he didn't go there. 
Granted, we didn't have a, you know, a pandemic on his watch. Uh, you know, again, you know, he got pretty lucky, I think, without a swine flu thing played out. But still, uh, again, Trump made his own luck this year uh, in, in that regard. And, and again, I, I think, you know, as far as the falsehoods and the stuff like that, uh, again, I don't see, you know, a, a ton of difference between the two. Obviously, every word that was said about the coronavirus at the Republican convention was a lie. I do, I do understand that part of it there. Uh, and, and that's a, that's a source of frustration between me and, uh, some of my friends who, uh, I think are falling prey to the, uh, thing of wanting to wish this away. I have one brilliant friend who, uh, I will not mention his name here because he wouldn't want me to mention this, but, a, a brilliant person who believes that we have no choice but to succumb to the herd mentality, or I'm not, not herd mentality, the herd immunity, mm-hmm. because uh, he thinks that uh, it, it can't uh, be stopped and that we would destroy ourselves trying to. And look, I'm one of these people who says you have to have one foot in both camp. You have to have, you know, a, 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 you have to have a reopening, but you have to have it in a way where it doesn't exacerbate the disease because the the, the economy can't come back until the disease is really wiped out much more than it is. By the same token, as you said before, small businesses may never come back from this. Big businesses are like Ms. Pac-Man right now, gobbling it up. They're doing oh, they're fine, doing great. right? Yeah. But we are running out of time to save small businesses, and so. But, but again, it's not like you can't, this is where I disagree with my friend, it's not like you can't have any restrictions at bars just because it's going to destroy bars and restaurants and whatever. So you're at a point in time where you're having to make horrific decisions if you are in a mm-hmm. position of authority here. That said, and, and, and there are a lot of Republicans that have pointed out the good things in the federal response through the period of time. Look, the, the China ban probably did come out of xenophobia, the travel ban in the first place, but that was good that it was done. The European travel ban was good when it was done. There are things, by and large, the better parts of the federal response have had little, aside from those, have had little to nothing to do with Trump, and that Trump, with his own big mouth and being on Twitter and whatever, has been by far the worst part of the federal response, and that's the part everybody notices the most and has had severe consequences. Yep, I agree. Now, um, I will say, in travel ban, uh, I was just reading a piece yesterday that talked about uh, the way that, you know, the concept, yes, Eventually, it was going to have to be done, right? Right. Uh, we needed to break these chains of transmission. The problem was that the way that they did it, it was so slipshod that it actually imported a last pulse of the virus. Now, the virus had already reached the East Coast, mostly from Europe, before the travel ban. So by the time they did the travel ban, it was already too late. The virus was spreading under sure. the surface. Right. But um, the way that they did it, you know, the airports weren't ready, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the what do they call it now, uh, uh, the, the quarter, uh, uh, the custom inspectors, uh, right. they weren't prepared, so uh, passengers who were obviously sick were being herded together with yes. other passengers. We- to me, this is, this is the face of the Trump administration's response. Delay it until the last second, uh, do it in a slipshod um, uh uh, manner that doesn't rely on any of the planning that anybody has ever done for this. I mean, uh, the stupidest thing that you will hear public figures sometimes say is that no one could have predicted a pandemic like this, except for, you know, 50 science fiction writers, right. uh, the Pentagon, the State Department, right. the, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
everybody predicted this, and and every administration. It's not just an Obama thing. Every administration in the last you know twenty years right. at least has passed on to a successor a plan for dealing with a pandemic. Right. Um, and I have a friend. I have a friend over at FEMA. He was a career military uh, logistics guy, and now he's over at FEMA. And, uh, you know, he's, he knows all about public service. And uh, it drove him crazy to see uh, Jared Kushner's buddies come in and start telling FEMA how to do things. And they have to inform them that they, what they want to do is illegal. Yeah. Right? Uh, but it, that is the other thing. It wasn't just a, 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 a sort of a transgression against custom for Donald Trump to put Mike Pompeo on a federally funded trip to call in from Jerusalem. Oh, the Hatch Act's a real thing. I agree with that. That is a violation of the Hatch Act. Yes, I agree. a violation of the law. It is not Trump's house. This is the public's house. Right. Right? Right. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, certainly, you know, the fundraising stuff, every president in the last, you know, 50 years has had to do so much fundraising. Right. But of course, how Eisenhower probably did, you know? Right. Um, and it's gross, and I don't think it should be happening. But, um, you know, what's happened before is just peanuts compared to this guy. I mean, when the only people who are going to speak up for you in public are your children and kind of a bunch of B-list uh, uh, party celebrities. Oh, and the other thing, finally, the the, the gross over-representation of, of uh, people of color on the Republican stage was just hilarious as all based. Well, right. you know, I mean, that's... Uh, I, mean, I mean, it doesn't... I mean, that was not an accurate cross-section of, of the Republican Party, of any organic photo I've ever seen. Somebody did harken back to uh, one con- Republican convention from, you know, 20 years ago, I guess, where there were more people, black people on stage than there were in the audience. <laughs> that might have been George W. Bush in 2000. But, yeah, that kind of stuff that is just... Been. Yeah, that's just politics. Listen, I'm not going to disagree with you on the Hatch Act, and like I said, anything that I would have screamed at Obama for, I'm not going to get a pass for here. Like I said, now, having said that, I still have principles, uh, unlike those gutless weasels at the Lincoln Project who have thrown in the other way, who apparently don't believe in anything public policy-wise. Because, because it's, it's, it's lazy. It's just intellectually lazy. Well, just admit that everything that you said before about public policy doesn't hold true and that you're going to embrace Joe Biden now, somebody who goes against a lot of this, which, by, by the way, one, one side note before I start talking about Biden here, I'm going to allude to something uh-huh. we said at the outset here when we were talking about this particular year. I go back to a previous segment I did with one of our uh, the, uh, show regulars when we were reviewing one of the seasons of House of Cards, and I said, uh-huh. you know, what kind of a conceit is it where they go in and all these things happen to happen in Frank Underwood's first term. I mean, they're throwing in impeachment and this and that. Yeah, dude, I didn't know what 2020 was going to hold. I was ragging on a house of cards for being too adventurous and where they were going. But as far as it goes with Biden, I want to start to get to that critique a little bit here because I think, and I don't know what his true vulnerability is on this, but I think what Trump is saying uh, God help us all, I think is accurate in the sense of, is Joe Biden, and, and you don't have to, I'm not going to say senile, I believe he's diminished from what he used to be, you don't have to agree oh, with yeah, me or not. Yeah. Okay, okay. alright, listen, yeah. the, the gravitational pull of the Democratic Party, to say that Joe Biden, who through the course of his, I mean, I mean, Joe Biden is like Jesse Helms uh, through the course of his career compared to today's Democratic Party, okay, I mean, 
you know, the party has moved very, very far in that direction. Yeah, I will just give that characterization when you're done. Well, okay, okay, but anyways, I'm not denying that Joe Biden has had, through history, what would, by the standards of today's Democratic Party, would be considered a very moderate record. I do not question that at all. What I'm questioning is, if a Joe, and, and as I said before, I'm terrified either way. I'm terrified of Trump basically having free reign for under four years, and I'm terrified of Joe Biden uh, getting dragged like he's tied behind a horse uh, by the squad <laughs> and everyone else for the next four years, because I don't honestly think it's going to be Joe Biden calling the shots on a lot of these public policy uh, things here. I, I don't think he's going to try to stand up. on. And the one thing I will say is this, is that I do actually have some sympathy for him in that regard, because there will be the temptation, if, if he wins this in a relatively big way, and that would be from a lot of these never-Trump Republicans coming in and making it possible, there is the temptation to look at how do I build a lasting coalition in American politics and whatever. But I, I think that's going to go out the window once we get repolarized in 2021. And I think that the gravitational pull will continue to suck him in that direction. So to say that Joe Biden, and this is, this is where the task is difficult for Trump, because it does, what he's saying doesn't seem credible on the surface if you're looking at Joe Biden's record. I do actually believe that part of Trump's propaganda because I think that is the future of what a Biden administration would hold, is that past is not necessarily prologue for what you get out of Joe Biden. Well, let me just say this. If the left in the Democratic Party had even a sizable fraction of the power you ascribe to them, they would be dancing in the hallways in celebration. They feel eternally marginalized within the party, right? Uh, the, if you listen to the left within the Democratic Party, they critique the party as being too much in the hands of corporations, right? So the Democratic Party is far from monolithic, right? It has uh, everything from, you know, people, the, you know, racial justice is their highest concern, uh, 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 universal health care is their highest concern. Um, you know, there are a vast, uh, uh, climate change, there are a vast number of issues that people in the Democratic coalition are concerned about. The far left, uh, as, you know, this is a thing you hear frequently when you're, you know, hanging out with people who do democratic politics, which I do, right? Yeah. And I go, you know, I spend a lot of time around what you would call social justice warriors, many other different generations than I am. Um, they're not saying that shit. They're able to nudge it a little bit. But even Bernie Sanders, my God, he's no flaming socialist. Like, what do you think you're going to do? Abolish capital? <laughs> you know, I mean, look, if we can get to universal health care, whatever the mechanism is, most Democrats don't really care. Um, just get a mechanism that can get us to universal health care, and then we can start getting the cost more in line with what the rest of the world pays, right? I mean, we're paying twice as much for worse outcomes than the majority of the industrialized world. Um, get to universal health care, get to um, some kind of uh, economic support for people who don't have jobs, right? This, this whole thing of starving people who, the vast majority of people who don't have a job want to work. Sure. They're you know, disabled or or they're caring for a parent, right? A lot of people have very complicated lives. And, you know, a certain category of politicians, including Joe Biden at times, has, uh, you know, uh, used poor people as the other. And we've got to recognize 
recognize that many of us know people who have passed through that, right? Sure. They needed uh, public support. They needed help for a time, right? And right. maybe they go on to find, find, find you know, found successful business later. We have to create, create some kind of basic form. Because, my God, uh, a coronavirus, you know, one reason that coronavirus has spread so fast here is the poor level of health care in poor communities in the U.S., right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's not spreading in black communities because black black people are doing something wrong. Right? It's that there's a lower standard, you know, uh, one, they're, you know, uh, they're, they're more, you know, in, in, and there are many just black neighborhoods that are affluent, but, you know, it tends to spread in poorer neighborhoods. Partly because people are doing these jobs where they're essential and they're in contact with the public. And then you also have, you know, because uh, poor people are sick. So you have uh, uh, conditions where you have communities in this country that are, um, and when I say that, I mean like geographic, like in D.C., it's like a, a two wards out of the eight wards of the city, right? Southeast, the part that is traditionally neglected is where the vast majority of COVID cases have been. Well, but, um, anyway, sorry, I went off on one. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I want to, I want to go down another little cul-de-sac since you mentioned that, and I oh, do yeah, not, yeah. I do not disagree with a lot of what you said about uh, black communities, uh, brown communities, hell, a bunch of them, you know, being disproportionately affected in a bad way. A bunch of minority communities is what I mean to say here. Uh, I do not disagree yeah. with that at all. Having said that, uh, it, it, one of one of my friends, uh, I, regular contributors to the show, Anthony Patrone, who for whatever reason, seems to idolize uh, Trevor Noah. There was a clip that I am not a Trevor <laughs> Noah guy. There was a clip he did a couple months ago about the racial component of this thing. And you talk about undermining your point, because he, he I think he meant this to be tongue-in-cheek. He played a long clip of black radio host after black radio host after black radio host all saying, hey, look at what's happening. Black people can't get coronavirus. Dude, every person who said that into a mic has blood on their hands because that was one of the things early on. People were led astray. We, whether you're black, white, Asian, brown, whatever, we all have media influences that we consume. And if you are in a pandemic, yeah. How was Trevor undermining his point? His, because his point it was sounds, about how... It sounds like he was talking about disinformation. disinformation no, 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 because his, his main thing was was that, like, how this is a classic example of how America has failed minority communities because of whatever. And look, as you and I have both said, there are many things that you can find in the way that this has affected minority communities to say, yes, this is a symptom of where, you know, this country ideally should be doing better on this kind of stuff. Starting out your monologue by playing this long clip of irresponsible jerk-offs saying coronavirus can't uh, come to black people, because you remember early on, you probably remember the first five minutes or so of this thing when it was hitting predominantly white people. And that was becoming a, I don't know if you'd call it a meme or whatever for a period of time of, hey, black people can't get coronavirus. Anybody that encouraged that has blood on their hands. Uh, uh, well, look, uh, uh, I, I suspect, you know, I watch the Daily Show regularly. Yeah. I suspect Trevor was doing what we in the, the, the community call <laughs> a self-assessment. Right? He was saying, "Look at these idiots!" Right? They're I don't. Right I don't think we. Things. I don't think he meant us to laugh at them, I, which is weird. Uh, no, not laugh, but be deeply concerned. No, them. like he. Uh, I, I, mean, got, I, I got. I got the sense. To go watch the clip. I, got, I know Trevor's take on the coronavirus. I got the sense he thought it was funny that they were doing that. I don't find anything funny about leading people astray in a global pandemic. I just don't. I'm sorry, my sense of humor doesn't extend that far. It, it just, you yeah. know. Yeah. 
uh, again, it's a, it's a satire show. So I, I will happily, if you can send me the clip, I'll yes. happily watch okay, it. Okay, sure. I'll find it. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, I just, uh, I, I just, uh, I'm not going to, uh, to be honest, I'm yeah. not going to take your characterization of Trevor's intent in the clip. Yeah, fair as, enough. As defending it. Okay. You know? Yeah, I mean, that was my interpretation of it.